Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back to another episode of the Ahmed Khan podcast. Hope all of you guys are enjoying it. Today we have a very special topic, one that has been requested more than any other topic. And it, it has been the topic of social media and providing some tools and advice on how to combat this addiction. And earlier on, we did our addiction on defeating pornography, but I think pornography and the, the damage that is doing to the community, it, there's a direct correlation with social media because social media tends to be the avenue in which uh, people uh, engage uh, or watch pornography. So the two go hand to hand with one another. And if, we're, and if we're going to defeat one, then we're going to need to defeat the other. So alhamdulillah, today we have brother Omar Osman with us. He is a founding member of Qalam Institute and he has served in different leadership capacities with numerous local and national Islamic organizations. He is a khatib in his local community and teaches regularly around the country on the topics of leadership, social media, and conducts public speaking training. For our focus today, he is also the author of the book Fiqh of Social Media, which I have right here. And I would recommend everybody to get if you want to know more information on this topic. Um, thank you for joining us, Brother Omar. Jazakallah for having me. Alhamdulillah, I'm very excited to see where this is going to go. Um, I feel like the best the best place to start with social media, rather than going into how it harms people and the advice, is first identifying what social media exactly is and what apps you think constitute social media. So that's a really interesting uh, question because I think traditionally social media would, would have been defined as Facebook, Twitter, et cetera, which are kind of the longstanding apps that most people are familiar with. Um, I would, I don't know that I have a formal definition because I think it's constantly changing just based on what the technologies and what the apps are. You know, for example, TikTok is social media, but it didn't, you know, it wasn't really a thing a few years ago, right? Mm -hmm. Like the way that it is now, for example. Um, but I would say it's any, really any digital medium where people are interacting. And so that might be Twitter, it might be Instagram, uh, but I would also consider WhatsApp to be social media because for, you know, for all intents and purposes, a lot of us are engaging in group conversations, right? With multiple people that we, you know, know or don't know or whatever, but we're exchanging ideas and messages and talking to one another. Right. And, you know, having that engagement aspect. So, you know, if it's, I think it's more, it's general in that sense that a lot of apps could fit the category, right. Based on how they're being used in terms of specific apps, you know, at the moment that we're recording, right. It's Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, you know, WhatsApp are probably the more popular ones, but it, you know, it could be any host. And I think that list will always be changing as well. Hmm. And I, I think I think there are, there are also other major ones which don't necessarily fall into the definition of social media, but which also count. So now you mentioned TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, but I think another big one which I, I don't think people would identify it as social media is YouTube. Oh, absolutely. And, and YouTube is the biggest. Uh, I think YouTube is far outweighs all of the other ones. Don't you think? YouTube is huge. It's a uh... Even beyond that, I think it's like the second biggest search engine after Google. Hmm. Subhanallah. 
Um, and now you're seeing also with YouTube, YouTube has created this community section on, uh, on pages. So people are writing posts now and people are liking it. So there are so many different avenues of social media and by no means, I don't think either of us are trying to, um, tell people that social media is bad and that you should necessarily get off of it. There are benefits, but the harms are there as well. And the harms are what are, what are causing problems today. And that's what I wanted to segue on to now is what are some of the harms associated with social media? What are, how is it causing some people to waste their time and more importantly, ruin their lives? So, I mean, that's two different, uh, almost extremes that you just mentioned, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, wasting time and then ruining your life are very opposite ends of the spectrum, right? There's, you know, there's a million and one ways to waste time. Uh, I think what's unique about social media in particular, and I, and I think this is the thing that people should be cognizant of, is it's engineered to waste your time. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, and I think that's perhaps a point that gets overlooked. Uh, because we're drawn into the benefits, right? We're drawn into the idea of engagement. You know, we're, we're drawn into the idea that this is where I can converse with my friends. This is where we interact. This is where I share the cool things that I find. This is where uh, I share ideas and get validation from others. This is where I go, in some cases, even to learn, right? And so there's a lot of reasons I go to social media uh, but I think, you know, one thing to understand is that these apps are very deliberately designed to get attention uh, because, you know, every app is made to, you know, they're incentivized in different ways. Social media is incentivized by attention. And so, you know, even if someone's looking to advertise on social media, right, we're directly talking about how people make money. Uh, well, the way that they make money is by showcasing this is how many people view your post. This is, you talked about YouTube. YouTube is looking very specifically at the minutes of watch time. So it's not that you uploaded 500 videos or that you uploaded a thousand videos, or even that you have a million subscribers. They're looking at, okay, you have uploaded X hours of content and, you know, you have 1 million watch minutes, i.e. someone actually sat down and was looking at the screen at the thing that you produced. And so once we can prove that, we can sell an advertisement by guaranteeing, hey, this is the number of minutes this channel got viewed last month. This is how much we can now charge you for advertising. Mm. And so the app is engineered in that way that it's going to, however it can, captivate your attention to keep you hooked onto it. And so sometimes that's productive, right? Some, you know, some YouTube videos are very educational. They're very beneficial. And sometimes they're not. And YouTube doesn't care what's beneficial and what's not beneficial. It just cares that you're watching. Hmm. And so as a consumer, you have to understand that, you know, like TikTok, for example, the algorithm is designed based on what you like and watch and interact with and what you, you know, what TikToks you share to your friends. It's going to feed you up more of the same because it wants to keep you hooked on the platform. And so from that timing perspective, uh, they're very intentional about doing what they can from an algorithmic point of view, from a user interface point of view, from, you know, what they show you, how they show it to you to make sure that you keep coming back and looking at it. Hmm. 
you know, one of my, something you touched upon right now, but I think one of my favorite lines of your book is that you said that the currency that's used on social media is attention. And the longer they have people watching these ads, the longer the videos are, the more they're able to put these advertisements, these advertisements in there. But when it comes to the psyche of an individual who's uh, spending countless hours on social media, becoming addicted with this follower count that you also mentioned in your book, what is that doing to the psyche of the individual who is doing whatever they can to maximize their followers? Because now they feel their value is in the number of followers that they have. You know, so the idea of currency, I think it's worth exploring a little bit more detail to understand this in context, right? And so when we look at the worldly life, the worldly life, uh, the currency is wealth, right? Money, status, all of these things. And so, you know, we're trained that if you want to be successful, do the things that successful people do. And so you have all these people like, oh, Elon Musk is amazing. Let's do whatever Elon Musk does. Oh, Elon Musk recommends a book. I'm going to read the same book because I also want to be, you know, whatever Elon Musk is, right? So we, we see something in the dunya and we want to copy it. Now, someone that's incentivized, and when we say incentivized, it's very important to understand what we're talking about. If, I, if, my, if my motivation is to make money, I I'm incentivized by the idea of making money. So I'm going to do the things that will make me money. And so if opening a liquor store will make me more money, if all I care about is the idea of making money, I'm going to open up a liquor store, mm-hmm. but I'm going, I'm going to transgress Islamic boundaries because I have been incentivized by wealth. And so you know, in the Quran, Allah says that you'll compete over these worldly things until you visit the grave. And so it's, it's a warning, like you're going to keep competing because you're incentivized by money. You're going to keep competing with one another to accumulate more and more wealth. And so someone who's thinking about worldly success, like I've, you know, I drive a, a Honda now and upgrade to a BMW, right? I have a, you know, four bedroom house on so upgrade to a six bedroom house, right? Like everyone's constantly thinking how to upgrade. Well, in order to upgrade, I need to make more money. Mm-hmm. How do I make more money? Well, I can you know, there's a million and one things I can do. I'm going to try to find the quickest way to make money because that's what's incentivizing and driving my behavior. Someone who has a perspective or is, a mo- you know, motivated by the Akhira, well, the currency of Akhira is different, right? Mm-hmm. The currency of the hereafter is deeds. And so someone who's thinking about what behavior, now, if, that, if that's my focus, what behavior does that incentivize? Now I'm incentivized to make sure I maximize my good deeds. So I'm always on the lookout. How can I accumulate more good deeds? I'm thinking about, just like in this world, I want to protect my wealth, right? I want insurance. I you know, want to make sure someone doesn't sue me and take my money away from me. I want to protect the money that I have. A person motivated by the Akhira is thinking about how do I protect my deeds? And so I don't want to backbite others. I don't want to slander others because... That equity in the hereafter means I have to give them my good deeds. I have to take some mm-hmm. of their bad deeds, and then my currency is going to get lost. All the very long-winded way of saying that in the online world, well, that currency is attention. And so when attention is incentivized, what do we do, right? And so it, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out and connect those dots that there are certain types of behaviors certain types of posts, certain types of content 
that drive a higher level of engagement than other types of content. And so someone that is seeking validation from others, right? Like I want to put something out and get people to like it or comment on it. They're going to keep pushing the envelope more and more and more until they get that attention. And once they start to get that attention, they want to protect it. Right. And so they want to make sure that they're not losing followers. They want to do the things that make their followers happy because they want them to keep, you know, coming back. And so it just creates this unhealthy cycle the same way that someone who, if they're not properly spiritually balanced, they may transgress the boundaries of Allah and accumulating wealth, right? They may go from earning a lawful income to unlawful forms of income because they're so driven by that desire for wealth. Similarly with attention, once you start to see like, okay, well, here's what I need to do to, to keep a following, you start to push the boundaries more and more and more because that's the only way to preserve that capital that you've built for yourself. SubhanAllah, there was a lot of great points that you touched upon there. Um, but I think, you know, going back to our worldview, there's either two ways. There's either, the, there's, there's either the dunya or there's the akhirah. And I loved how you said each has its own currency. And within the dunya, within this new social media uh, age, we're seeing that it, attention is what pe- what these apps and what people are seeking after. But whereas where it com- when it comes to the akhirah perspective, it's the deeds that matter. And one of the things I loved you touch upon your book is this idea of social media activism and how everybody is, every social media has created a platform for people without credentials to become famous, to become activists. And it creates this perception in the, in the individual's mind that this is, this is a hero, this is a qualified individual. And then they start ask, seeking uh, information and knowledge from this person. So we are living in an age where, you know, I, I was thinking about this last night, we're living in an age where anybody can become famous from doing almost anything. And whereas if you looked in the past, if you looked at history, you really had to do something quite profound to get famous whether good or bad, but your average Joe could not, could not become famous as they are today. And I think what this also does, it, 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 it gives potential for the rise of what I call false leaders. Def- I mean, definitely. And there's a, a narration, I think of one of the Sahaba uh, who said that, you know, there'll come a time where the scholars will be few and the speakers will be many. Right. And so, you know, now, and look, whether it's Islamic, uh, activism or anything else, you know, you, uh, I came across this quote that said, we're the generation that made the Kardashians famous, right? Like what, what do they actually contribute? Well, you know, something fairly illicit that (laughs) made them famous, but it made them famous and gave them success. Right. And so, uh, that is definitely a struggle because this is one of those areas where, Social media was beneficial in the sense that it removed the gatekeepers, right? And so, uh, selfishly, like, alhamdulillah, I was able to publish this book, Pick of Social Media, whereas prior to this age, maybe I wouldn't have because I would have needed a book publisher to somehow select me and say, like, okay, Omar, you, we believe in you and we like this book, so therefore we will publish it, right? Now that the gatekeepers are gone, I can publish whatever I want, put it up, and so it's a bit of a double-edged sword in that sense mm-hmm. that uh, the gatekeepers are removed so that it's helpful in the sense that people are able to contribute more good and put out good work. And there is a lot of good work being put out. Uh, but on the flip side, 
someone that you know has nothing it's much easier to be a charlatan or be two-faced uh and build up a massive following mm. and ultimately i think it just comes down to um taking the good and leaving the bad but the problem with that is trying to figure out what the good is because we live in an age of fake news as donald trump famously said right but um fake news has been around for a while and it, and it will continue to be around post trump as we're seeing and what social media has done is that it allows information, you know, it, it, we, were, we live in an age where information is exponential. And this is why we have so much fake news. There's um, um, in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ya ladina amanu in That all you who believe before you pass on other knowledge, confirm it first. So you don't pass on bad knowledge. And Social media, you know, and these large-scale media outlets have done an excellent job at synthesizing social media. Because now, if you look at it, most people are not aren't going on FoxNews.ca, CNN for their news. They're going to Twitter, they're going to Instagram, yep. they're going to Facebook. And so, there's a lot of good that can be used. But um, we've identified some of the harms, and I know honestly we could speak all day about the harms that social media has had. But from a practical standpoint. Um, there are people out there who are addicted to social media. And when I say addicted, they're spending at least five to six, seven to eight hours a, a day on the various platforms that we've mentioned. And they're stuck in, they're, they're just scrolling all day. And although they want to quit it because of their hawa, their, their, their desires, there's just something wrong with them. And they know that there's a problem. And so they're asking for some assistance. So what can you, what tips can you provide them for how to defeat this addiction? So I want to, I want to differentiate before answering this. Um, there's an issue of, I'd almost say like overuse, right? Where you're just kind of mindlessly scrolling. And, the, and, I, th and I think there's also a difference between someone who's consciously trying to stop and maybe is unable to. And I think in that case, it would be helpful for someone to, you know, and, and there are like, uh, to, to seek professional help, uh, quite literally, like go in and speak to a therapist or a psychologist that specializes in addiction, because uh, for some people, they're, they're, they want to stop, they're trying to stop, and they can't. Um, I want to be very clear that they should go and seek out the help that they need. That's, that's one component of it for, for true addiction. Now, with social media, I think a lot of times what gets, you know, what we kind of in our vernacular term addiction sometimes tends to just be overuse as opposed to the actual addiction. So I did want to differentiate that. But in terms of just a general overuse, because I think it's something we all struggle with, is there's a number, you know, there's a, quite a, a few approaches that can be taken, right? And so, um, and it's a combination of finding ways to, you know, decrease the usage, but then also simultaneously replacing that with something else. Mm. And in terms of cutting down, you know, there's a few strategies that I've found that have been fairly helpful. And, you know, I've had other people try them and, it, and it's worked. And it's, I think the best way to summarize it is find ways to increase the friction points in accessing social media. And so, and, and I think one thing that might be a little bit surprising for you is I'm not going to recommend that you suddenly deactivate all of your accounts. Uh, for the most part, and as and this is anecdotal, but all the conversations that I've had with people that people have tried to deactivate, they inevitably end up coming back. 
uh, whether it's a few weeks or a couple of months, but most people aren't able to just permanently stay off. Some people are, I know that's great for them, but a lot of people are not. Uh, so for those that aren't, I would say find ways to increase the friction points. And so that might mean, for example, uh, if you check Facebook a lot, well, delete the app off of your phone. Let yourself check it from your laptop computer, but don't have the app on your phone, right? Delete Twitter off of your phone. Let it be something you check on your computer. Now, yes, you may still check it a few times a day and you know you might still spend a lot of time on your computer, but you cut down on like the 25 other times you take your phone out of your pocket, right? And so that's one. Another is turning off notifications. And this is really a big one is don't let the app display a red badge. Don't let it put a banner on your phone. Don't let it vibrate or make any type of a sound. In other words, I put Instagram in a folder on another on the back page of my phone. I'm only going to go and check it if I'm thinking like, hey, I want to go and check that thing versus me taking out my phone and seeing the red badge. As soon as I see the red badge, I have to go and click it to see what the red badge is, right? And so turning off all the notifications. If you can delete the app off your phone, delete the app off your phone, right? All these things tend to cut it down. Other things that you can do are putting timers, right? So, you know, if you notice that, hey, I'm, I'm spending two hours a day on Instagram, well, put a 30 minute timer on it. And so the app will alert you and say, hey, you spent 30 minutes on this app today. And so, yes, you can still blow through it, but at least it becomes a gauge that, hey, am I hitting this time limit at 11 a.m. every day? Or did I hit the time limit at 10 p.m.? Right. And, and that gives me a gauge just to understand my own usage and say, like, okay, relatively speaking, if I've been spending four hours a day on this thing, and now I maybe spent an hour or two hours throughout the course of the day, at least I've made progress. Right. At least I've significantly cut down on my usage. Uh, so that's another uh, tip that works. And really, it's just a matter of, you know, working with it that way. Um, and also, you know, there's unfollowing accounts, unfollow, mute, right? Disengage from things. A lot of, you know, and I think this is one of those things everyone kind of knows that they do, but they never want to admit it is a lot of people will follow accounts that they don't like. It's almost like that hate follow of just like wanting to see what they do next. It's like, well, just cut all those things out, cut out the things that you're checking so constantly unsubscribe or unfollow some of these pages and accounts so that when you go and check Twitter, there's a lot less for you to look at. And so you finish scrolling through your feed much faster if you're following a hundred people versus 400 people, right? And it's just this constant iteration of, you know, making it harder to access the app, making it harder for the app to get your attention, making the app a little bit less interesting when you do look at it you know, all these things add up. But then now the other component of it is this is I need to supplement those activities with something else. And so if I find myself constantly chatting with a group of friends on WhatsApp, maybe that's a sign that I need to set up like, hey, let's set up a once a month dinner. Let's do a friend's dinner once a month where we all get together and catch up, right? Because you can't only just cut if if it's an area of social interaction, you're cutting it, cutting it, cutting it, you can only cut so much. You have to supplement and replace it with something else. So constantly look for how can I 
you know, give myself some type of interaction, you know, these things without the device in ways I'm not getting right now. So whether it's intentionally looking for ways of meeting up with friends, right? Organizing coffee meetups. Maybe it's going to the mushrooms more regularly. Maybe, you know, it's, it could be any number of things, but just finding ways to replace those interactions with something more in-person. Hmm. There's a number of things you touched upon. Um, notifications is one thing I found highly, highly beneficial of muting them. Um, especially, you know, like, like on my phone right now, um, it's very rare that I'll get any notification because I've just muted it all. And whenever, and for me, what I, cause I know some people will say, well, what if somebody's trying to contact you and it's urgent? Well, I realized in my case, if it's really urgent, they'll call me and yeah. then they can, and then they can reach me directly. Like if they really need me, it wouldn't be just a text message. So notifications is one thing I found highly beneficial. The other thing that I found is that the way I kind of use, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, the way I'm starting to use social media now, aside from marketing, kind of my podcast and stuff, is just as a way to stay in touch with people. Like I just check my DMs and stuff, but I, I don't scroll anymore. So I don't scroll on Instagram. I don't like any of the pictures because, um, I mean, this ties into another thing you mentioned in your book of you don't necessarily need to know everything, everything that's going on in a person's life. Yeah. So when people are going downtown, when people are going to restaurants, personally, I don't feel like I need to know that about them. And if they're going to reach me and many of them don't have my number, it would be on social media. So that was a point that I loved that you, that you messaged. And because in today's age, there's the first thing, the first advice people usually get whenever they say I have a social media addiction is to delete the app. Like just, mm -hmm. just not even delete, deactivate everything. Right. And, um, speaking, you know, from personal testimony, hearing to what you're saying, people will always come back for the most part. And so I feel like taking those baby steps first, slowly day by day, eventually you'll get to a point where maybe you can deactivate or really only use it for, um, its primary focus. So those are some of the things that I found to be, um, beneficial, but you touched upon your book as well, this idea of Nia, of what is your intention behind social media? Do you mind expanding upon that? Yeah. So, you know, we know that intention is one of the foundational teachings of our religion, right? It, it underpins everything that we do. And so it's natural that it, it plays a role in how we interact on social media. And so it's important to understand, you know, the intentionality kind of to use that, that word of, why am I consuming the content that I'm consuming? Why am I posting the things that I'm posting? You know, is it for a good reason or a bad reason or a neutral reason, right? Like, you know, uh, and, and one thing I want, you know, I want to make sure to clear up because this often gets conflated like, okay, well, if you can only have a good intention, does that mean that now all of a sudden your, you know, your personal Instagram becomes only Hadith from Bukhari and that's it. Mm -hmm. Like, no, that, that's not, it doesn't mean that you suddenly become, uh, like this fake religious persona, but it just means be aware of why you're posting something and be okay with that reason. You know, I, I'm posting uh, a funny video because I think it's funny. It has no religious value or significance. It's just a funny video. Um, okay, well, I'm posting it for entertainment. I know that my intent is to post this for entertainment. Cool. Just be okay with that intention, mm -hmm. right? Versus I'm posting the song lyric because, you know, it's passively aggressively attacking someone that I know, and I hope that person reads and knows this about them type of thing. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, in that case, maybe, maybe not 
maybe that's the place where you pause and, and don't post that. Uh, but, you know, even tangibly speaking, I can, I, I can tell you, you know, I go on Twitter and I'll start to post something and I'll stop and I'll say like, why am I doing this? Mm. Right. And, and I'll look at it and I'll say, and I'll, I'll read what I'm about to post and I'll look at it and I'll say, I'm not posting this for any value to anyone. I'm posting it because I'm upset and I'm venting. Hmm. And, I, and, if, and if I, and if I can pause and that's the, really the hard, the hard part is to pause and to assess because we're just tempted to just hit post, right? We're just tempted to go as quick as we can fire it off. But as soon as I pause and look at it and I can just realize like, I'm just venting. Hmm. I'm not really saying something useful. Then that becomes a signal to me that I need to not post that because it's not something of value. Right. Um, you know, another example that happens to me often is I'll put, I'll go to post something I'll be, and I'm, and I'll just stop. And I'm like, who am I hoping sees this? Hmm. And, if, and if I realize I'm really just posting this for, to show one or two friends, then I'm like, you know what, maybe I should just text it to them. Hmm. You know, why do I need to blast it yeah. out? And so I'll, I'll text it to them instead, you know? Um, so I think, I think there's some little things like that, but in, in terms of intention in the broader sense, it really becomes, you know, why am I engaging the way that I'm engaging? Uh, is it for a healthy reason? Is it for a beneficial reason? Why am I following someone or liking their content and, you know, things of that sort is, is it bringing some, some benefit to me or not? Uh, and what type of messaging is it giving me? Hmm. Exactly. And the, the one component that I really wanted to touch upon, which again, you mentioned in your book is that people need to realize that social media people only post their highlights. Yep. And this is, and I speak as somebody who struggled with this growing up where I would open up social media, particularly Instagram, you know, on a Friday night and I would see my friends are partying, they're having fun, they're at restaurants and I'm sitting at home thinking, man, my life sucks. Like how yeah. come I'm not doing that? And when you have on social media, hundreds of people, and you have only a handful of people who are graduating, who are getting married, who are displaying all of their accomplishments. It really makes you feel horrible and ask yourself, how come I'm not reaching any of these goals? But it's only a handful of people. And because you have hundreds of people on your social media, every week there's going to be some person with their accomplishments and they're going to post about it. And then you start to feel horrible. And in the second that you have some, some level of accomplishment, you're going to display that as well. And now you're falling into that cycle of making somebody else feel bad as well. So only the highlights are mentioned and the down, the lowest moments of people's lives are not worth mentioning. So when you go on someone's profile, it looks like they're living the dream. Um, but in reality, it's far from the case, right? Yep. Yeah. And, you know, and the, I think the funny thing that you mentioned is you're, you know, you're looking at people who are getting married or graduating or things like that. You know, one thing that, is very interesting about envy, particularly in the context of social media, is we tend to have feelings of envy for people that are similar to us in status. Hmm. And, you know, by that, I mean, you know, if, if I see Jeff Bezos, who's a multi, you know, kajillionaire, and he has a private jet and a, you know, $350 million yacht, it doesn't phase me. I don't think about it. I'm not envious of it. I'm not, you know, staying up at night thinking like, man, how do I get a yacht like Jeff Bezos? Because it's a different planet. My mind doesn't compute having billions of dollars in my personal bank account, right? It's just not something I can relate to. 
but if my if my coworker who is of a similar age, similar job, similar salary, goes and buys a car that's a little bit nicer than the car that I have, I'm like, oh, <laughs> how'd that person get that car? Right? The the Jeff Bezos private jet doesn't make me envious, but my friend Tesla might, you know, because it's like, how did he get that car? You know, even though it's magnitudes apart, but we tend to get that envy for people that are that are in that status. And so, you know, there, there's a few things to, uh, to unpack and understand. And, you know, one is when you're, and it requires a level of self-awareness that when I'm struggling with something, I am going to notice it more when I go out, right? Like if, if I tell you, man, it seems like everyone's just driving a white Tesla Model 3 these days. <laughs> the moment I say that and you go driving, you're going to, every time you see a white Model 3, you're going to be like, oh, yep, there's another one. There's another one. There's another one. <laughs> the cars on the road didn't change. You just suddenly started paying attention to it. And so it seems a lot more ubiquitous than it actually was. And so if someone is, for example, struggling to get married, right? They, you know, they've been, you know, all these rishtas haven't worked out, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, chances are when they go online and they see these fancy wedding cakes and they see, you know, the, these fancy wedding photos and they see the honeymoon photos with their toes on the beach and the heart drawn in the sand and the sunset and all these things, they start to feel like, man, everyone's getting married. Hmm. You know, everyone's having all these amazing things. I'm the single person that's struggling. It's like, well, no, all these things have been happening the same. It's just that at that moment, you're struggling with getting married. And so you're noticing it mm-hmm. in everyone else. Someone is struggling at work. They've got a, a bad boss or they just got laid off. And so they're struggling. And what happens? They go on LinkedIn to look for a new job. And all of a sudden, that idiot coworker that I had just got promoted, right? Like I'm not jealous of the CEO of the company. I'm jealous of the moron that I used to work with that just moved up a notch. Because I'm like, I'm more qualified than that person. Why are, you know, why are they getting all this amazing stuff and my life is bad? And so it requires that self-awareness of just knowing that when, when I'm struggling with something, when I'm down about some, you know, something or some aspect of my life, it's probably not the best time to go and scroll through Instagram because my mind is going to be attuned to looking for precisely those things that I'm having a hard time with. Right. And then I appreciate you mentioning the other side, which is being aware of, am I causing that feeling in someone else? Right. And so it's that matter of knowing, yes, maybe I want to share some good news. or I want to share some cool thing, but also just knowing like, I'm not going to post all these amazing things all the time because yes, maybe it is going to have that effect on someone who's struggling with that thing right now. And so you know, maybe I withhold and I restrain myself, you know, somewhat, if not more significantly in in posting and sharing those things as well. Exactly. And, you know, you talked about, um, well, we've all talked about this idea of not sharing your accomplishments. And I think there's two, there's two parts to this. Part one is you don't want other people, other people to feel bad about themselves because in today's age, as you mentioned, if that person's already in that horrible state, the tiniest of accomplishments will have them reconsidering their own life and their failures. But um, there, there was an episode of the TV show Rami. And uh, there was an, there was an episode where his sister got into, I think it was law school. I think she got into law school on a full scholarship. And so she posted on social media about it. 
and everybody's like, wow, that's so nice and all of that. And her parents approached her and, and, and informed her that you better delete that because you'll probably end up getting the evil eye from it. Yeah. And she like, you know, many people today are very skeptic of it. She's saying, oh, mom, you know, this thing doesn't exist. It's all backwards. And then, you know, as the next day passes, she gets really sick. She starts developing these bumps on her body. Her hair starts falling off. And then ultimately she realizes, ultimately she realizes that her parents were right and that she should, she shouldn't have posted that in the first place. So there is that element of evil eye as well, which is out there. And unfortunately, you know, people message me all the time saying, I, you know, I'm having trouble, you know, believing in something in like the evil eye. And, you know, to me, it's something I've personally experienced. I know people who've experienced it and you find it in almost all cultures, some level of evil eye. So it does exist. And social media is one of the methods in which people get it. Correct. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, Puzzlem said that the evil eye is, is hawk. It's true. And in the book, I share a passage from Imam Tahir Anwar from uh, NorCal area. And, you know, I, he shared something. He said, essentially, you know, be careful with what you post because not everyone is your fan. You know, not everyone who's consuming your updates, not everyone who's friended you on Facebook actually has your best interests at heart. And so just, you know, be careful in, in sharing what you share because you never know, you know, the response that it might elicit in someone, especially when, again, that given not everyone has your best interest at heart. And so, uh, you know, there, there's that component. And also even at a more basic level, even, you know, more basic than just like the evil eye itself is the idea of showing off and being, you know, kind of ostentatious is that's a basic part of the character that we're you know taught in our religion is, not to show off in that sense and not to, uh, you know, the, the term now is not to flex, right? Don't always be flexing everything that you have, right? Or, or showing off all the things that you have, because again, you don't know what it's going to do or how people mm -hmm. will, will take it. And so it's, if you have to err on one side, erring on the side of privacy, never hurt, will never hurt you, right? The, you know, the more you, the more you display in public, the more that you open yourself up to risk. And it really becomes almost a question of, well, what are, what are you trying to get out of showing off and sharing those things? Like, is it, you know, is it some type of validation that you're missing elsewhere is, you know, what, what is the deep reason of doing that? Because, you know, in reality, those types of things kept more private or kept within a smaller circle, you know, tends to be a lot healthier. Hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And just on a closing note, um, what is your message in one minute to those people who are trying their best to defeat this addiction, but are really struggling with it? I mean, really, it's just recognize that it's an ongoing, you know, there's, there's never going to be a moment where you flip the switch and be like, okay, cool, I'm done. I mastered my, you know, my relationship with social media or technology, right? It's just, uh, it's almost like any other aspect of life. It just requires constant work. And so, you know, one thing I tried to do with the book is give people a framework that is meant to be revisited. Hmm. You know, it's, it's re, you know, revisit your intention, uh, sit down every, you know, couple of months and unfollow people, right. And unfollow accounts, uh, sit down and, you know, keep making time to 
give yourself, you know, time away from the social media and the technologies and things like that. And, you know, that, that might be something as simplistic as I'm not going to check my phone for, you know, at least 15 minutes after I wake up, or, you know, I'm not going to have my phone out during family dinner, right? But just creating time for yourself that's free from the screens. You know, we, we talked about like increasing the friction and, and replacing your online time with something else. I think one of the things that we need to focus on is where can I, you know, create time where I won't let the phone creep into my free time, right? Where I'm going to just sit down and maybe make dua or just do nothing, right? And, and give my give my mind a break. Like, how can I engineer those moments of time? Because yes, maybe, you know, for some people are wired where if I set a one hour limit, I'm going to stick to the one hour limit. So when I say I'm only going to use my phone, you know, for social media for 30 minutes and I can stick to it. A lot of people can't. And so if you can't maybe take the opposite approach and the opposite approach might be, I'm going to make sure that I have 30 minutes a day where I'm not using it. Maybe it's I'm leaving my phone at home and taking a walk around the neighborhood for 10 or 15 minutes just to clear my head. And I think, and you know, those don't sound, it's not a heavy lift. It doesn't, it's not a huge thing to go take a 10 minute walk without your phone, but the consistency built up over time will start to have an impact, right? Just, you know, the same way the phone didn't all of a sudden show up one day and fill up all of our free time. It happened mm -hmm. gradually as more and more apps were released, as we got more and more comfortable using it, you know, our relationship with the phone changed over time. The way that people use the iPhone when it was first released is drastically different from how they use the iPhone now, just because the nature of things have changed. And so that happened over the course of years. You're not going to change your behavior overnight. You're not going to suddenly have been using your phone one way for five years and be like, oh, you know what? I heard this podcast and that's it. My life has changed. Like that's, this is not, let's be realistic. That's, you know, yes, it'll be amazing if it happened, but it's not going to happen. What's much more realistic is making small behavioral changes that are sustainable. And that's, again, reducing the friction points, reducing the time used and supplementing it with healthy behaviors that you can keep up that don't involve the screen. And then, you know, inshallah, over time, those things compound and build up and make it easier to get to the balance that someone wants to get to. Mm. Mashallah, mashallah. I could not have put it any better. And trying to just for just from from myself it trying to find something to take that time that time away that was allocated for social media finding something to replace it is something which is going to be crucial because if you can get away from social media but you're still not being productive you're going to find something else to waste your time on as well and i say that first most for myself so with that i think we will conclude if anybody is interested more in this topic, because I think we just honestly scratched the surface today, I would recommend getting Brother Omar's book called Fiqh of Social Media. Um, and, um, you know, hopefully, hopefully this can be the beginning of a series of podcasts on this very crucial and pertinent topic, which is one of the biggest, if not the biggest addictions the youth today are struggling with. So with that, we conclude. Thank you so much, Brother Omar. Jazakumullah khairan. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.